Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Jimmy Shan to my Darren Moore. It's Justin Peach. I don't know whether that's a, a, a dig or not, but... Well, as we'll get on to in a bit, Justin, Darren Moore, when he was in charge at West Brom, did a fairly good job and then Jimmy Shan came in and... Well, didn't do a terrible job, but it just wasn't very good. Made it boring. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. How are you today, Justin? As always, Thursday morning, recording, tired, but I mean, what a, what a game of football, well, a few games of football we had last night, it, we a had bit a, of drama. We had a, a lot of drama, we had worldies, it, it was a crazy week in the championship, and as usual, you are listening to the biggest championship specific podcast, the second tier, thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yeah, we'll go through all the games from the midweek in the championship, and we've got a lot to talk about because there was a lot kicking off of course we've got to start off with the big news we've got more big news in the championship ladies and gentlemen it's manager news and it involves Sheffield Wednesday they appointed Doncaster boss Darren Moore as the club's new manager it comes more than two months after Tony Pulis was sacked just in your immediate thoughts I like it I think it's a, a good appointment at this level um I mean looking back at I know Darren Moore's not a manager we've linked with um, with jobs in the championship before, mainly because we've 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 blown the Paul Cook horn quite a lot, um, and perhaps you know a bit of oversight from us because what he's done with his Doncaster team in League One has been tremendous, and as well as that, they haven't had a big budget at all. Um, he's got them up to sixth. They've got games in hand to play. They're two points ahead of Ipswich in seventh. They're well in the playoffs and. He likes attacking football, as we know, as his, his West Brom team were, were very, very keen to attack. Um, I think it's a good appointment for Wednesday. It's just whether or not they've got the... Well, Wednesday had the tools, or Darren Moore's got the tools at his disposal in the Wednesday squad to get the best out of them. It was a, an appointment that caught me completely by surprise, I will be Everyone. honest. Especially because I remember last month, I think it was, or maybe even two months ago now, there was this reported manager shortlist that was released, including the likes of Paul Cook, Pep Clotet, Vladimir Ivic, and a couple of managers from abroad. Yeah. So the fact they've gone with someone from the lower leagues is a complete shock, quite frankly. I think it's a long-term appointment, because I think Hope so. whatever happens with Wednesday this season, hopefully Darren Moore will be the man to take them into the future and he's a good manager to have around for next season when he hasn't got to try and put out the fires that have already been started this season I think he's done a good job in the two jobs that he's had so far those being at West Brom and Doncaster at West Brom he nearly kept them up didn't he when they were in the Premier League before last time before now Um, and then when they came down to the championship he did all right and I remember at the time when he got sacked uh, there was quite a bit of uproar about it, saying, hang on a minute, you're doing all right. Why why have you sat your manager? And he's, he's a young lad, and he's doing quite well. I say young lad, young manager. Um, <laughs> and then he's coming at Doncaster, who were a mid-table league one side. He's made them a playoff side. So, yeah, he's, he's done a good job on both occasions so far. Um, he's a model professional as well, isn't he? He's probably one of the most respected people at football league level. I've never heard anyone say a bad word about him, ever. You can't dislike him. You can't. You, you quite frankly can't. And as a player, he's always been very determined and passionate, hasn't he? So he's always come across to 
me as someone with the right mindset to be a manager. I think he's just been looking for that one club for him to settle down and show what he can do. I'm just hoping, Justin, he's given time. Time is something that Wednesday managers haven't had this season. You're looking at Gary Monk, lasted the longest out of the managers that they've had. Obviously, Tony Pulis had 10 games. Yeah, time isn't time isn't um, a, a currency that Ch- Chancery deals with quite often. Um, that's the only concern with it. Um, Darren Moore, as we know, is, is a good coach and a, and a really good guy. So ideally, you want him to have the time to turn the Wednesday team around. Whether or not he can keep them up, I don't know. I think it would be a miracle worker to do it. But Darren Moore nearly did it at West Brom, as you say. Um, so there's that there's that element to it as well. So yeah, time time is just something I think if, if Darren Moore is giving it, any new manager coming into Wednesday is giving it, they can turn the team around. Yeah, we'll talk more about Wednesday's current predicament in just a sec when we talk about the, uh, <laughs> the game last night. But um, I, as I say, I hope he's given time. I just have this horrible feeling that if they get relegated this season, they'll sack him and it will just be completely pointless because he's a good manager. And if they do hold on to him for next season, no matter where they are, in which division, hopefully he can be the man to get them out of the current mess that they're in. Uh, But let's talk about his first game in charge, Justin. And it was incredibly cruel. Wednesday versus Rotherham. Both teams in the bottom three. It was a massive game for both sides. And it finished 2-1 after Freddie Ladapo scored a 97th-minute winner for the Millers. Heartbreaking, but imagine the limbs if there were fans in the ground. Oh, it would have been spectacular, Justin. A second to Twitter, we, we put out the, um, the reaction from the, the Rotherham podcast, which was just incredible. And I felt that emotion. <laughs> I felt that emotion. Um, so I can't imagine how it would have felt from a Wednesday perspective. Literally one of the last kicks of the game. I think the commentators were saying that's surely it. There's not much left to do, and when a goal goes in like that, you can only imagine, um, especially when you're not in the ground, just how just how how good it feels. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an even game. I thought. I think especially after the red card, um, things got interesting. I thought Wednesday actually looked a lot better as well. Well, do you get the feeling that pretend that we were just previewing this game? Would you have said that the loser of this game was virtually down? I wouldn't have said that. I don't think. There's still there's just too much football to be played. Um, I think it. I think it would have been a significant swing. Obviously, with Wednesday losing late on on Saturday and um, losing a two goal deficit, I think it would have been fairly detrimental. And it doesn't help. But there's still a lot of football to be played, which we will allude to throughout this this show. Well, the thing is, you look at the table now, seven points uh, between Sheffield Wednesday and Birmingham in 21st. It's looking like one hell of a task for Darren Moore to turn this around. Five straight losses as well. He's got his hands full, hasn't he? But uh, as I say, I'm just hoping that he's not going to be judged upon what happens this season. But what's got to change for you for Wednesday to have any chance of staying up? It's just diversifying their attack because they, they they don't create many chances from open play. I mean, they've got good wide players in Adam Reach and Kadeem Harris. They've got very you know good talented players, and they've got a plethora of talent in the squad that hasn't been utilised. So when you when you get the best out of those players, we know that, that Jack Marriott, that um, Elias Kachunga can do it at this level to some extent. They just need goals out of the team because 
defensively they've been a bit neither here nor there throughout the season um, so it's just getting the best out of every single individual in the squad now until the end of the season because getting a style of play imprinted at this point is going to be impossible well Rotherham had lost five games in a row so this was simply one they had to win they're three points from safety but with two games in hand and they've got to make the most of those games haven't they uh, final points on this game Rotherham had at left back and left wing Giles and Wiles which sounds a bit like a law firm <laughs> does a bit. It does a bit, yeah. A posh law firm. <laughs> Let's move on to another big game near the bottom of the championship, Justin. That was between Huddersfield and Birmingham. That finished one all. Not a great game for the neutral by any means. Both teams seemed a bit nervous. And I'm not sure a draw really helps either side, Justin. I don't think it does, but I think... for Especially for Birmingham City, the performances have been much better. And I actually watched the bits of the second half because I was sort of flitting in between all of the games on the red button I actually watched a bit of the second half and I was I was very impressed with Birmingham City's wide players I actually thought it was a better game than probably you're giving it credit for that was mainly the last 20 minutes um, especially when Birmingham got the equaliser but you can see why both teams are down there I think I mean Huddersfield's goal was, was fantastic but they struggled to create there was a lot of crosses going across the box without anybody latching onto him and it was sort of the same from Birmingham City's perspective but as I say from a um, purely from a performance perspective for Birmingham I thought they were pretty good going forward Yeah for, again for what is it the third game in a row now we've come mm-hmm. out of a Birmingham game and thought actually they've done alright which is yeah. more than we've been able to say for them for the past what three months um, and Scott Hogan should have won it right at the end he missed a massive chance so they'll be wondering how they're coming out with this with just a point uh, Huddersfield on the other hand um, not particularly impressive they scored a great goal admittedly but it came from a Birmingham mistake they're not looking very good are they Huddersfield <laughs> A bit of an understatement. They they are one of the the worst teams for form at the moment, as as is very easy to point out. And as I was saying, there was a lot of crosses, especially when Birmingham City got the weak equaliser. They looked vulnerable at the back. They looked incredibly vulnerable at the back. And I don't think Schofield in goal is is, is particularly young. You know, he's not like a, a fresh keeper coming out of the the ranks. I think he is twenty two, twenty three. I'm not particularly impressed with him. I think the goal. I think he could have done a lot better with it. Um, there's just a lot of weaknesses in the team that can easily be exploited. And I think teams are finding that out. Birmingham City's equaliser is a good way of sort of showcasing how you can exploit the weaknesses defensively. Yeah. Well, let's move on from a couple of massive games at the bottom of the championship to a massive game at the top of the championship between the two teams at the very top. That's Norwich and Brentford. It finished 1-0 to Norwich if I was someone who didn't know where these two teams were in the championship Justin I'd have been very surprised to find out Brentford were second from top because they look distantly second best for me in this game you're right you're spot on they did um I I mean I saw a few tweets from from some Brentford fans saying should we be disappointed and I think you should I I do think you should because the, the the plethora of talent that Brentford team has got is I think it can be, or is almost on par with the, the the talent that Norwich have got. So you have to be disappointed that you've come away. Okay, you've you've lost the game, but have you really done enough to get back into it? Have you really done enough to 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 showcase 
what you can do. And I don't think they did. I think in terms of chance creation, they weren't that different. But Norwich just looked so much more comfortable on the ball, while Brentford were very direct. And the defenders were making quite a few mistakes when it came to not passing the ball to opposition players. Um, yeah. Emmy Brandier got the goal. And at times in this game, it was the Emmy Brendia show. There was one pass he did for Timu Puki, which was just exceptional. And the goal itself was fantastic. I, I, there's been a lot of worldy goals scored in these midweek games, but that one probably won't get the credit it deserves because the run and then the finish was just fantastic. Uh, we talk about him quite a lot on this show, Justin, but even though we do talk about him quite a lot, I don't think it's enough because his such a remarkable talent to be playing at this level and he has been the difference for Norwich this season hasn't he he has and I remember us getting stick for suggesting that if he wasn't in the team Norwich would fall down the table and then by no means are they a one-man team but he's so important to them functioning going forward I mean for example he's, he's now in double figure goals and assists this season which I I love that stat because it's <laughs> Not only is it a mix of a goal scorer, but also a creator. When you take them out of the team, teams particularly don't tend to do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's just, he strikes me as one of those players that when you will look in the past, okay, when you're in the future and you look in the past, you think, I mean, when Deere played in the championship, you think, did he really? You know, he's, he's one of them championship players that you just, you're going to look back on and go, wow, you know, we were very lucky to, to watch him play in the championship because he's, he's such a such a good attacking player creative players he's going to I wouldn't say he's going to go to the very top but I mean it's inevitable isn't it well it wouldn't surprise me if even though Norwich do look like they're going up now it wouldn't surprise me if a big team did look at him and think yeah we've got to get him because he is he's so talented so so talented and I don't think it's particularly a bad thing for Norwich fans to admit that they probably wouldn't be doing this well if they didn't have Emmy Brandier in the team because he is a remarkable talent and the fact that you've got a player as good as he is, it's something to be celebrated, not something to go, oh, but oh, yeah. we've got other good players as well. Um, I think we've spoken to Jacob from CanaryCast before, and he's admitted that if they didn't have Emi Brandia, they'd be in a completely different position this season. Um, he, he's just a remarkable player, Justin. Fantastic to watch. And uh, yeah, Norwich are now running away with the league, aren't they? Ten points clear. They're doing what I thought Brentford would do not too long ago. Um, they're up, aren't they? It's, it's very hard to see them falling away now, isn't it? It is, and I, I tooted this horn way back in October, November. I said if anyone finishes above Norwich, they'll, they'll finish in the automatics, and as it is, Norwich top of the league, no one's finishing above them. Let's go. <laughs> well, we've got Jacob on from CanaryCast this weekend, so we'll have a jolly good chat with him about uh, all things Norwich. But let's quickly touch on Brentford. They had the moments, didn't they? Sergi Canos missed a golden chance uh, in the first half, and then Brian Mbuma could have had a penalty. They were second best, but it could have been a different game had those couple of moments gone their way. Yep, spot on. The, the Canos chance is is one of, is the key the key moment because, as I say, in these games when you get get those chances in big big tight games you have to take him he didn't I honestly still don't know what he did I think he sort of no. fell behind it without really putting any any conviction into it I think the ball went backwards as well which it was just a it was a mess of a of a of a chance and as I say you've got to take those chances in these big games and that's the difference between the sides Norwich have got experience of doing it 
yeah, Swasic Kalos didn't have a great game. He missed that golden chance. And there were, <laughs> there were just numerous moments where we lost the ball. There was one moment where he did four step overs and then tried to play a crossfield pass and just completely scuffed it. And it just went straight back to Norwich. He, he didn't have a great game. Brentford weren't at their best, but plenty of encouragement for the couple of moments that they had. A 95th minute penalty by Andre Ayew gave Swansea a late, late 2-1 win over Stoke. But was it a penalty, Justin? No, it wasn't. I don't think it <laughs> Straight was. Straight to the point. I, yep. I think what, what I'd say on that penalty is, if you are a referee and you're giving a penalty in the 95th minute, you need to be 100% that it's a penalty. I have no idea how the referee was 100% that that was a penalty. Yeah, you, you, you're right. I don't want to really have a go at the ref because angle-wise, Norton does look like he gets tripped. Um, I mean, I think he clips his own he clips his own foot, like his, his, his foot hits his own heel and he trips over himself. Still quite soft in terms of a trip, but, I mean, in Norton's perspective, you feel contact in the 95th minute, you're going to go down. Um, and the rest, unfortunately, falling for it. Yeah, it's it's a soft one, but I I can't really have a go at the ref for it. I can. <laughs> you, you've, <laughs> you've got to be one hundred percent when you're given a massive decision like yeah. that, a massive game changing decision, and I, I just can't see how you would be one hundred percent about giving that. Um, but let's move on. Swansea weren't great, and Stoke will be wondering how. They didn't get something from this game, quite frankly, because Swansea have had a bit of a sticky patch recently, haven't they? Performances haven't been great, but they're still picking up a few results. They need to get back on track ASAP, don't they, to keep up with the pace that Watford and Brentford are setting for that final automatic promotion place. Spot on. I think the issue with Swansea as well is defensively they've they've looked vulnerable and they're making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. The, the goal, for example, shouldn't have happened. Mark Gehe, we've 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 waxed lyrical over this season, but that touch that allowed I can't remember I think it was Fletcher who intercepted it or tackled him to set up Nick Powell, that touch was horrendous. Um and okay, you, you are gonna be forced into mistakes when you're playing from the back, but that was completely avoidable. They weren't even being pressed. Mark Gehe literally ran into Fletcher. But yeah, as I say, there are a lot of mistakes that are creeping in at a key time. That's my only worry for Swansea. They created a lot of uh, a couple of decent openings, but they weren't they weren't as good going forwards. And I guess that they haven't been all season. They haven't been amazing going forwards because they relied defensively on their setup uh, that has worked so far. But as soon as that starts to falter a little bit, it shines a light on the on the attack. No, I think you're absolutely spot on. Swansea haven't been as good going forwards as the likes of Norwich or Brentford this season. The thing that has really helped them stay where they are at the top of the championship is their defensive form. I think, I'm pulling numbers out, out of my head here, Justin, but I think after 29 games, they'd only conceded 15 goals all season yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And then in the last four games, they've conceded eight. So it, it shows that something has changed for Swansea and it's something they need to address soon if uh, they are going to stay up there and continue to challenge for that top two place and they also need to improve going forwards the addition of Conor Hurahan has helped with that but in recent times AU low 
their form has dropped off. Lowe went on that crazy scoring run, didn't he? But he's um, gone off the ball a bit recently. So there's plenty for Steve Cooper to work on. They're still in a very good position. Only one point off the top two. And they've got two games in hand. And if they get back to how they were playing earlier in the season, then those two games in hand are going to be absolutely massive. Uh, But let's talk about Stoke, because their fans were... Well, obviously very frustrated by this result, with the referee mostly. But a few Stoke fans have started to aim their frustration at Michael O'Neill. Do you think that's fair? Because they have only won two in their last 14 games now. They're not the team who we saw earlier in the season, are they? They're not. Um, I do think there's some frustration should be levelled at him. But, you know, in my opinion, he's the best manager you've had since... Tony Pulis, but the Tony Pulis of the very early 2010s. I know Mark Hughes came in, but I don't. You know, it wasn't particularly fantastic, and we all know how it ended. Um, so, getting frustrated with a manager who has had to deal with the fallout of um, Nathan Jones and Gary Rowett, it's, it's, it just seems it just seems daft. And he's only just been able to get his, his his squad together this season, and he's lost his goal scorer, which hasn't helped. But then again. Results haven't been good enough in that time. Two wins in 14, as you say, isn't good enough. They've signed a lot of, I say a lot of, quite a few attacking players in, in January transfer window who aren't doing anything. I mean, Jack Clark, as we know, we've we've, we've mentioned quite a lot, and, and the same with Matondo. There's, there's a lot wrong, but it could be worse for Stoke. So I think it just needs a bit of perspective for them. Yeah, I'm in a 50-50 kind of mind with it really I do look at the side and think that is a decent side at championship level but there I think it's a mix of some players not really pulling their weight um the likes of Stephen Fletcher Nick Powell have been good this season Nick Powell has been very good this season um but then the likes of Jacob Brown hasn't played as well as he did last season for Barnsley um and then the defence as well. You've got Harry Souter at the back. And then he's usually playing with a different defender seemingly every game because he's having to uh, mix and match. Um, so I, I think maybe Michael O'Neill should be doing better. Obviously, losing Tyrese Campbell is a massive, massive blow. But I don't think you can put all the blame on that injury. I think if you're a good manager at this level, you should be able to still grind out results, even if you have a a fairly decent squad at your disposal. And they have got, at the very least, a fairly decent squad. Uh, Watford, they're still maintaining their shout of finishing in the top two after beating Wickham 2-0. Pretty much as straightforward a win as you like, Justin. It was one of those like comical... Um, bully moments where you where the bully holds a child like a, a cartoon one where a bully holds a child at arm's length just pushes their head away and the, the child's just swinging arms I was wondering where That's you was going was. with that <laughs> <laughs> now I would not advocate bullying but this is, was very close to it um it, Watford just kept Wickham at arm's length is, is pretty much what I'm getting at and that's why I don't think you can rule Watford out of, of, of finishing the top two you know we're seeing Swansea stutter a little bit okay they got the win um, and Brentford stuttering as well but in the last six games they've clipped more points than both of them so I think it'd be, be difficult to, to rule them out because this sort of display for me it was, very, it was a very professional display and when you've got Andre Gray who we know what he's capable of at this level I think getting a, him him getting a brace and getting into form is is something that 
I'm sure Swansea and Brentford would, would, he, would be wary about. Yeah, well, he only scored once this season before this game. So hopefully this is a confidence booster because we all know what he can do. It's just that his confidence has been rock bottom now sure. for quite quite some time, hasn't it? Um, Watford are now level on points with Brentford in second. Swansea are a point behind with two games in hand. I'm still sceptical about Watford being able to go up this season. I think Brentford and Swansea are better placed um, but you, admittedly you can't rule them out um, and as we've come to expect with Wickham they gave Watford a decent game just not good enough to really trouble them it's 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 telling that the, the values of these squads are so far apart um, but as you say they, they gave them a good game but it wasn't I mean I don't think Backman had a save to make um, which isn't the worst thing in the world but you want to at least try and test the keeper they didn't they didn't get the chance but that's probably credit to Watford and their setup because we know how good they or how organized they can be defensively Wickham just weren't good enough yeah absolutely right right Justin let's have a break after that we'll talk about the race for the playoffs I tell you what there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt I've got loads of them a Juventus shirt Marseille shirt even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got track suits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, there was a spanking at the Cardiff City Stadium as Cardiff beat Derby 4-0. This game was incredibly one-sided, Justin. It's as one-sided as you'll find. And actually, no, I don't think it is because Cardiff only had 27% possession and they scored four past Derby, which is <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, possession-wise, I, I think possession... People used to look at possession and say that was how a game, how you could tell how one-sided a game was yeah. um, and who was the better side. It's not the case anymore, is it? Because no. <laughs> Cardiff had plenty of chances here. They maybe could have even scored more than four. Um, and we've spoken loads about how good Cardiff have been recently, but I think this was the best performance we've seen under Mick McCarthy so far, or Neil Harris for that matter. I think I think the only the only criticism you can give them is they weren't three 0 up at half time. They they allowed Derby a little bit of hope in some in some ways um, because they they were going into second half only one 0 up. But that was that was paid to three minutes in when Keith Moore put his put his header away. Yeah, it was it was it was incisive as well, especially in the second half. I think um, the third goal was just um, Ojo coming in coming inside, squaring it to Bakuna, one touch bang. Same with the Will Volks goal, pressed into pressed into uh, pressed Edmonton into a mistake, um, one touch shot bang. It was it was incisive, and that's when you know a team is confident when they're taking them chances. Um, that 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 is quite telling for me. And yeah, it was it was it was a top top performance from Cardiff, which I, as well as that, I think there's bullet derby as well. It was it was a really yeah. all round good performance. 
I think bully is quite a good way of putting <laughs> it, really. Cardiff was simply a class act all over the pitch. The experienced players, the likes of Volks and Pack, just really made Derby submit at times to a to whatever Cardiff wanted them to do. Uh, of course, Cardiff can't score four without at least one of them coming from a set-piece, Justin. They've now got 22 goals from set-pieces this season. That's twice as many as every championship team, apart from Reading, who have got 13. I mean, wow. What a stat that is. It It is simply remarkable. But the fact that they're scoring from open play as freely as they are, scoring from set-pieces as well, is just... Astonishing, isn't it? We know. I mean, we knew how good they were from set of pieces because they've been incredibly consistent all season. And one of the things I highlighted under Neil Harris was the chances created under in open play, and that's something that's been arrested by Mick McCarthy. It's, they've become a once you get this Cardiff team creating chances, it becomes frightening the amount of potential openings they can score from because a team being this efficient from set pieces I don't think I've seen it in my lifetime I know there was um, Stoke under Tony Pulis but 21 goals it's 22 22 goals sorry from set pieces is just sickening and not fair it is <laughs> it is ridiculous what's that it's they score from a set piece they score two goals from set pieces every three games that's just amazing um, but yeah Wayne Rooney for some reason, really rang the changes. He made six in this game. I'm not really sure why. The assumption from Derby fans seems to be that they're resting plays for the for the game against Coventry at the weekend, which I'm going to assume he saw as a more winnable game. But in the end, he's made the plays that actually went out there look a bit stupid, didn't he? <laughs> because they were awful. It also made himself look a bit daft. I, th- I thought it was it was it was a poor decision to make that many changes, but. Derby looked exactly what they are, a team with five lone players in the squad, a few teenagers and no experienced leaders. That's essentially what, what, what it was. And we should praise Rooney because of what he's achieved with them. But this games like this, Rotherham away as well, you know, even even a couple of wins um, in the performances over the last couple of weeks, it tells you where they are. They're, they're, not, they're not good enough yet to be sort of waxing lyrical about them and yeah, there was a lot of bad habits in this game that Derby suffered from earlier on in the season, which is a little bit scary because it's something that can quickly creep into a side and become a consistency, as we've seen with the likes of Rotherham and Sheffield Wednesday. So, still not safe. Still not safe. If anybody ever gets asked, how have Derby done this season in the Championship, just read out this stat to them. 73% possession, one shot on target. That is a perfect summary of Derby County this season. Uh, they're not out the relegation battle, as you say. And you pointed that this out to me earlier in the week, Justin. Derby have got a tough run of games coming up. Not nice. A really tough run of games. And, I mean, they've got Co- uh, Coventry this weekend, which looks to be their big winnable game out of this run. So they've got to make the most of it. Um, because, as you say, they're not out of it. Um, only... It's nine points above the relegation zone at the moment, so there's still a lot of work to do for Mr Rooney. But Barnsley, they won their sixth game in a row by beating QPR 3-1. Justin, Barnsley, what more can we say? No one can stop them at the moment. That I don't think anyone's going to stop them. I mean, a bleat, potentially when they get into the playoffs, they might. But I'm saying <laughs> when they get into the playoffs, because I think... I think they will. The, every season there's a team that comes into form. Those it, it was Villa a couple of years ago, Fulham a, a, the the season before that. I think Barnsley are that team. I know Cardiff have got a bit of momentum, but 
Barnsley's style of play is just suffocates teams. It is uncomfortable, I imagine, to play in because you just don't get anything. In fact, I actually thought QPR were pretty good here, but more on Barnsley. I think every single player is coming into form as well. Alex Mao in particular, best player on the pitch by a country mile. 67 touches, which was the most... 43 passes, which was the most... 28 successful passes, which was the most... Four shots, two assists, one goal. It was just a complete performance by him. And what a player they've got. Daryl Dykes scored two in the last three. And Cotton Morris has got four in the last six as well. There's just a lot of good things to say about Barnsley at the moment. Yeah, I mean, everyone on the pitch for Barnsley played well in this game, but Alex Bauer was the shining light. We all know Barnsley are this pressing machine who don't give the opposition a minute's rest. And if this is a machine, then he's the key cog in the middle, isn't he? That goal, the free kick was spectacular. He's just nonchalantly curled it into the top bin. Fantastic. Can I confess something to you, Justin? You, You always can. I was thinking about Barnsley's form, right? And I was thinking to myself, how far are they off the top two? Because I tell you what, nine points off, they've got a game in hand. Surely not. The fact that Swansea are stuttering, Brentford are stuttering, Norwich are running away with it. <sighs> yeah, I think you could be onto something. I don't want to. I don't want to suggest it, but their their form is ridiculous. I think Barnsley fans would be more than happy with a top six finish and I think Valerie and Ishmael would be exactly the same. But if they carry on this way, if they carry on winning games, is obviously they're not going to win every game for the rest of the season. But as long as they manage to maintain this decent run of form throughout the rest of the campaign, then who knows what they could accomplish this season. And as you rightly said, QPR, in fairness, were pretty good. They had some very good chances and Mark Warburton said his side have got to be better in front of goal um, and I think he'll be pleased with the performance won't he? You would be the, the telling difference between the two sides is Barnsley are on top form so everything we all know if you're in top form everything goes your way and that's pretty much the difference between the two sides is, is QPR aren't in the same position as Barnsley because they're winless in the last the last three now um, compared to Barnsley who have won every single game this year which is a bit of a joke, an exaggeration. But but yeah, QPR were, were, were really good and I think Mark Warburton's spot on as he would be because he's a manager and I'm not. They didn't take the chances. Um, that, I mean, they, they hit the bar, forced Brad Collins into a few saves. It was, it was frustrating in a way, but you come against a top team like that and you come away thinking, we could have got something out of that and, and you didn't. It's not a bad place to be. No, not at all. Bournemouth came from a goal down to beat Bristol City 2-1. Not the most convincing performance from Bournemouth, but they had to win it, didn't they, considering all the teams around them uh, did so. Cameron Carter-Vickers scored an 88th-minute winner with his arse. He knew absolutely nothing about it, but I'm all here for it, Justin, are you? Yeah, it's his first since 2017 as well. So, <laughs> you know, when, when you score your first goal in four years, you want it to be a good goal, but I guess at that point, maybe you take anything, so coming off your arse isn't a bad thing. I, it's definitely not a bad thing. I, I'd love to score more goals with my arse. Um, Dan Bentley made an absolute clangor in this game. Mm. It's got to be one of the most, worst mistakes this season. We've seen a few, but I think the fact that he's parried it into his own net as well, it's awful, isn't it? But the thing is with Dan Bentley, he... 
has kept Bristol City in plenty of games this season, hasn't he? He's been their player of the season, without a doubt for me. Um, but he is capable of the odd clanger, isn't he? He has, and we've not really seen it this season, which, I mean, it might sound a bit disrespectful and, and, and horrible, but it's something you do come to expect with certain keepers, and Dan Bentley is one of them. But to his credit, he hasn't he hasn't made any of those, and he's he's been in top form for Bristol City, and as you say, kept them in games pretty much all season. So I think he's he's he should be given the benefit of the doubt. I, I think he will be given the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I, I think I think there's no doubt about that. Um, he's more than earned enough credit this season for him to be able to make at least one mistake <laughs> this season. Uh, Georgie Puskas, he got the goal, which meant Reading beat Blackburn one nil. A game of few chances, but nonetheless, again, as we were just saying with Bournemouth, considering the teams around them all won, it was a massive win for Reading. It, it absolutely was. And again, you can't really understate it. I know Bournemouth didn't play well, but they won and, and Reading didn't play as well as they, they have done previously. Um, and, and, and they get the win. It's They're two big wins for teams that are under a lot of pressure, which you've got to, you've got to sort of mention how ballsy you are really in, the, in those situations because as I say you're under that much pressure with Cardiff and Barnsley breathing so heavily down your neck it can be uncomfortable and some teams can, can falter under that and neither have done here. Good thing about Reading is they've kept a clean sheet as well so that's for them it's it's, it's back to back clean sheets back to back 1-0 wins which a lot of managers say that's their favourite scoreline I think it was Ivic actually I, I won't really quote Ivic because that's not the best player best manager to quote but it is it is a a good defensive performance and they got the win. Interesting to see Puskas start. It's the first time it's happened since November. I suppose it makes sense because Lucas Yao's form hasn't been great. Lucas Yao also played. They were playing as a front two. Um, I'm guessing it could be something we see more often. Puskas starting, considering the form of Xiao. Potentially. Uh, I think a lot of Reading fans have sort of suggested this. I've seen a lot mention that they, they, they should start as a two, just eases the pressure off Xiao and gives Pushkas, who for me is a player who has got a lot of ability, especially at this level. Um, and, and again, I thought he played well. He gave Reading a lot of energy. He hit the channels. He, he, he was quite dangerous. He had four shots and he, and he scored as well. So it's a good performance from a player who hasn't played as much football as others. You'd be pretty pleased with that. Yeah, Reading still sat in the top six for now, but as you mentioned, Barnsley, Cardiff, still very hot on their tail. They've just got to maintain any sort of form, haven't they, to uh, try and keep pace with uh, Barnsley and Cardiff. Um, Harvey Elliott's mistake led to the Reading goal, and I've watched it back a couple of times, Justin, and I have no idea what he's trying to do. He just kept running backwards and backwards until he eventually got tackled, and Reading score. I mean, he's a young lad, isn't he? I mean, he's still only 17, as we've said plenty of times on this show. He's not 18 until next month. But it's that kind of mistake where you've just got to get it out of your system and just remember that if in doubt, kick it out. <laughs> the age-old mantra, if in doubt, kick it out. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's 18 because a 20... 17. Whatever. He's, he's, he's a child. You can tell he's a child. Um <laughs> Because players of experience, players with a lot of games, don't make that sort of mistake, and it was a, it was a bad one, you know, maybe on part of Dan Bentley's because, as I say, you run that far backwards into your own third, and then you get tackled is is pretty damning. 
He's gone from the halfway line to the edge of his own box, hasn't he? It was really bad. Uh, But Blackburn have picked up one point from their last seven games now. One point from the last seven. That's pretty disastrous. And it's only turned the dial of pressure on Tony Mowbray up a bit more. And more and more Blackburn fans are seemingly calling for him to go with their season pretty much over now. What what do you think on the whole Mowbray in-out debate? I'd keep him in until the end of the season because playoffs... Playoffs aren't going to be a, th- they're a distant memory, and, and I don't think they're going to get sucked into a relegation battle because of the quality quality they've got in the squad. It felt like Mowbray was he he acknowledged it. He knew that his time his time is coming to an end. I think for me, it's probably the right thing to 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 move on. But they've got to get the right manager in. They've got to have time to get the right manager in. So having Mowbray until the end of the season. Because I do think if you do bring in a caretaker manager, there is a danger that form curtails completely, even worse than it is now, and you do get sucked into a relegation battle. Because that is a risk, because they're only, I think... Uh, eleven. I think they're 11 points from the relegation zone. But yeah. I, I, see what, I see what you mean. In terms of form get worse than it is now, I, I'm not sure that's possible. As I say, they've only got one point from the last seven games, so unless they lost that zero. other game, then zero, there you go. Um, I, I agree with you, I think maybe give him to the end of the season and then um, start thinking about a, a change. I think it maybe is time for a change. I think he's done a fantastic job, hasn't he, in terms of um, steadying the ship at Blackburn because they were in League One and were really struggling as a club, especially with the big wage bill that they had when they initially came down from the Premier League. Um, and now they're in the Championship, solid mid-table side, got a very good squad though. And should be doing a lot better. I think a new set of ideas would really help them elevate to the next next level. I think Tony Mowbray has probably taken them as far as he can go. And with a new set of eyes, it could do wonders for Blackburn. Uh, Mowbray, fantastic bloke. Done a great job at Blackburn. But if they really want to get to the next level, I think it's time for a change. Um, but a team not giving up on the top six just yet is Middlesbrough, Justin. They beat Coventry 2-1. Middlesbrough came from a goal behind. Um, but I'd say it's a deserved three points for Borough. Really? I, I thought... Do you I, not think? I, I, don't, I wouldn't have thought so, no. I thought Coventry were actually pretty good. Um, I think it's, again, I, that the equaliser that, that late as well, I think it's quite harsh to... <laughs> To say it was a three points, you know they've conceded again from a set piece as well. They they've conceded the most from set pieces this season out of all the teams, which again is a bit of a surprise under Warnock. But I don't think he's got a, a commanding backline, and it was hesitant defending from Coventry for for, for the Bury equaliser as well, which which allowed them into it. But I thought I thought this was a fairly even game for me. I thought Coventry at least deserved a point. I think Middlesbrough didn't really deserved the three points until quite late on in the game. Uh, the reason I say they deserved the three points was because of the few big chances they had right at the end of the game when uh, they maybe should have extended the scoreline by even more. Um, but Coventry, yeah, you thought they did all right? Yeah, I, I, as I say, I, I, they're probably coming away thinking how they how they lost the game. You know, you say that they've, they've, they've pretty much kept Borough quiet until the, the 87th minute and it, they've only just allowed allowed Borough in I think that just comes down to experience at this level and game management as we know Coventry you've lacked they, they've been quite naive this season and I've said before especially at the start of the season that's pretty much what they, what they smacked of was just a lot of naivety and there's a little bit of that creeping in but it's one win in six for them now which 
is a bit of a worry considering Rotherham have, have, have won a game and they can quite easily go on a run again and Birmingham City have picked up so they've they've got to start just getting wins on the board again and going back to how they were post the first international break where they were defensively very very organised and very very good you say one win in six it's actually one win in nine and who's the one team they beat in that time Brentford the championship ladies and gentlemen um, I, I think the positive thing for Coventry is the fact that all the teams the six bottom sides are all horribly out of form at the moment and who goes down this season is ultimately going to be based on who manages to turn around their form the quickest because one of them needs to do it soon let's move on Justin because Forrest picked up their second loss in their last nine games after being beaten 1-0 by Luton question is how have Forrest lost this they missed some amazing chances in this game yeah again it was a game that I watched and I, I did think Luton were the better side in the second half whereas Forrest were the better side in the first half as the game wore on as you say the first half Murray had that glorious chance again you back him to score that uh, he's got it over the bar and it's like how have you done this you're the most experienced striker at this level and you've you've put that over it's, it was it was pretty pretty poor and I think that just gave that's put the backs up to loot and that did that that gave the onus to them to, to go out in a second half and, and, and put put Forrest on the back foot and he did that and as I say I think on the balance of play I think Luton deserved it but yeah Forrest missing chances really? yeah really I thought second half they were really good energetic Forrest looked leggy and they, they, they got in got in behind quite often Kay didn't have many shots but they got in behind a lot and um, as I say just they put the they put the Onus back onto back onto Forest to defend, and it was a good performance. I thought. I mean, I'm not saying it was a bad performance from Luton, but some of the chances Forest missed. I mean, Murray could have had at least two in this game. I I, I don't know how Forest have come out of this without at least a goal in hands. So I I thought Forest were much the better side for me. Um, but nonetheless, we'll agree to disagree. Just going back to not taking their chances, I do wonder where Forrest would have been this season if they had a striker who could get 15 goals this season. Their top scorer is Lau Taylor with four. Four. <laughs> I mean, That's pretty poor, considering we're two-thirds of the way through the season and your top scorer has four goals. Um, but if they had some, if they had at least one striker who could get 15 goals, then where would they be? I mean, you talk about a playoff push, aren't you? You, you probably are, but I mean, Lewis Graben's been out for large portions of the season. Um, Lyle Taylor has not really pulled up trees and Glenn Murray's only just really come into the side. That way, that, at that point, you're then looking at likes of Joe Lolly, Knockhart, um, Amiobi, Freeman to, to get goals. I know Freeman's been injured fairly often, but again, they haven't done much either. I've, I know Knockhart, for, for what they're probably paying him, should be doing a lot better, but yeah, you're looking at those players to to get more out of, well, to get more out of those players, and they haven't. Let's finish off then with a game which was all about two worldy goals. Justin Millwall two, Preston one. Chad Evans scoring a wonderful volley from the edge of the box. Scott Malone with a screamer from 25 yards out. The question is though, Justin, which goal was better? Oh no, mm, I'd say the volley because it's harder. Um, I'd say the volley. It was his weaker foot as well, so he's yeah. done well to control it and not 
hit it into row Z. So fair play to you, Chad Evans. But Scott Malone's goal was by no means a, a, a bad worldie. <laughs> he's scored quite a few worldie goals now this season, hasn't he? He's not scored a crap goal this season. He's, he's, been, <laughs> he's been really good for them. I think he's their second top scorer as well, which tells you the striker situation at Millwall. But yeah, doesn't score a crap goal. No, no, he's done... Uh, He's done fairly well. And he's still on loan from Derby. Um, make of that what you will. But Millwall deserved the win. They had the better chances here, didn't they? They did, and they're starting to fall into a style of play which is is working for them. I think Mason Bennett coming back into the team. He's the only striker or wide player that they've got, other than Jed, Jed Wallace, that's got a little bit of pace that can get in behind teams. And I think the defending from Preston, for example, for the Bennett goal is is probably one of the worst. Sort of bits of defending you'll see. There was sort of there was hesitancy from both keeper and defender. It was it was terrible, but he created the chance for himself, which was which was top work. Mm. Millwall nine points off the top six. No, you having that? No. no, no, not for you. Fair enough. Preston four points from their last five games. It's not going well for Alex Neal's boys at the moment. But that's just about it from us this week on the second tier. Thank you for listening to us wherever you are in the world. Of course, we'll be back again on Sunday to give you all the latest news from the Championship and reaction to all the weekend's games in another eventful weekend in the Championship. Just before we go, Justin, got any plans for uh, the next couple of days? Absolutely nothing. I've booked um, a festival festival tickets, so I'm Ooh. just sort of planning for that, and that's not till September, so yeah, my life is enjoyable right now. Fantastic. Which festival is it? Uh, the neighbourhood weekend, uh, I think. Who's performing? Uh, there's there's Jerry Cinnamon. There's James. There's Sam Fender. You know, rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you've given the listener a fantastic insight to your music taste. Yeah. There. Um, what's your favourite James song? Uh, I can't. Um, the one that's always played at weddings. I'll sit down. <laughs> yeah, it's the only one. It's the only one that anyone knows. <laughs> on that note, Justin, let's get out of here. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.